As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Thursday, October 21st. Big things happening in both the ALCS and in the NLCS. In the ALCS, the Astros took a 3-2 lead heading back to Houston. Pretty big turn, of course, in those last two games. We'll dig into that, how they pulled it off. Talk about Atlanta taking a commanding 3-1 to lead and pushing the Dodgers to an elimination game in Game 5, one in which the Dodgers will be leaning very heavily on their bullpen. You know, how's it going for you on this Thursday? Good, good. I always have about five minutes before the show starts to do half an hour of work. <laughs> nice. Trying to read Britt's awesome piece about the Mets yesterday. Uh, checking up some stats about Julio Urias that I'll share later. Uh, just generally, uh, it's fun. It's a fun time of the year. Uh, I'm sad that there won't be too many more two-game uh, days because of how these uh, races have turned out. Yeah. Series. Yesterday may be the last one, depending on what happens today. But Let's start with the ALCS, the series that is off on Thursday as the teams head back to Houston. I didn't think we'd see 2020 from Braveldez. I didn't think it was impossible, but I just wasn't expecting it based on what we saw from him in game one of the series and what we saw from him against the White Sox. thought maybe, maybe teams have started to figure him out a little bit. Also being a lefty in Fenway, even though he's the type of lefty that can have a lot of success there, getting as many ground balls as he does. I just didn't think that was going to be the script. But that was the script, and it wasn't just that. It's surprising to me also that Chris Sale was pitching really well, and the velo was back for Sale. So there's a lot to unpack with the pitching here because I think, at the very least, no one really expected Sale to pitch as deep into the game as he did. But then Fromber on the other side turned in a gem. Yeah. Uh, You know, this year, uh, Fromber had uh, the best ground ball rate um, for a season in which a, a starter had pitched 100 innings, ever. 
ever. Uh, in terms of, you know, as long as we track this, I'm sure there were some guys in the 80s that, uh, that beat him out. But, um, you know, he had a 70% ground ball rate, which is pretty amazing. And uh, there was all this debate about analytics and pitching to contact. And I'd like to point out that the Astros are maybe, you know, the most analytics forward team or one of the three at the top or four at the top. And um, they employed both Dallas Keuchel and Framber Valdez, who are possibly the modern kings of contact, if you want to put it that way. But uh, Valdez, you know, has a sinker that sinks better than 95% of the population. And he has a curveball that drops better than 95% of the, the population. And he attacks the bottom of the zone with vim and vigor. And, uh, you know, it's a good combination. It, it works. And he gets some swings and misses, too. He had 12 of them you know, yesterday in Game 5. If you look at his swinging strike rates year over year, he's had a 10% swinging strike rate or better each of these last three seasons now. So he's not just the guy that gets you to pound the ball into the ground. He does yield some hard contact, but he yields the kind of hard contact that Eric Hosmer provides, where it's just smashed into the ground at 95-plus. So if your skills are getting some swings and misses and turning opposing hitters into Eric Hosmer, you have pretty good skills. And the other thing that I think I've always wondered about with Fromber is where does the walk rate eventually settle in? I mean, we've seen 313 regular seasonings from him, 10.6% K rate or walk rate rather with a 22.6% K rate. So we're seeing, we're seeing a guy that's maybe leveled off a bit from where he was when he first broke into the league, but I don't know if he's ever going to come close to the 5.6% walk rate we saw from him in the shortened season. That looks like a smaller sample short season sort of anomaly. Yeah. And one thing that I do that I don't uh, get about him, I don't actually get a, a sense of true of his true command. I think I have a hard time doing it because I think that I think he has really good command. And then I think that he sometimes just refuses to give in. Um, you know, I think there's times when he's like, you know, my zone where I'm trying to pitch is the bottom of the zone. If the umpire's not giving it to me, then I'm not going to pitch higher in the zone. <laughs> you know I mean? like he's just like, this is my game plan. I'm sticking to it. So, uh, and I also think that with a two pitch pitcher, there are some hitters, um, that are just good at curveballs. I would think of, you know, Jose Bray is like very good against curveballs. If you were facing somebody like that as a lefty, and he was taking two of your pitches away, you would probably, you know, nibble a little bit more um, and try to get more reaches and, and, and end up being like, well, you know what? I walked Jose Breu twice in this game, uh, but uh, I gave up no runs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, cool thing last night was he was way above his league average, his year average in terms of velocity. Um, so I guess that short start, uh, did bring some benefits to the Astros in a way. Uh, he was more rested for this. They managed to stay away from him uh, when they were considering using him uh, in the last game. And uh, he was up two ticks on the fastball, two ticks plus, and uh, up movement. He was his, his pitches were dropping more than usual. So I think it was just one of those nights where you're like, this is, this is peak Fromber. As you, Russell says, get Fromberized. Yeah, get Fromberized. Sounds like <laughs> something that we'd see on a T-shirt sooner rather than later. Uh, <laughs> Chris Sale showed great velocity, topped out at 98.5. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I heard that was the fastest pitch that he'd thrown since coming back from Tommy John surgery. A lot of questions about whether or not Alex Cora stuck with him too long. Ended up being a 7K performance over five and a third innings. Four runs allowed. Two of them were earned. Jordan Alvarez got him a couple of times, which 
you know, no shame in that. Jordan Alvarez is a great hitter, but what do you make of what we saw from Sale? Because it was such a, a dramatic swing from the last time we saw him pitch in this series. It's just uh, a shame that the Red Sox don't have a deeper bullpen, I think, because uh, I think it was fairly obvious that Sale had emptied the tank in the fifth. And if you just look at his velocity over time, uh, you know, you see a peak in the in the fifth. Uh, I think that's when he hit uh, 98.5. And then um, when he comes back out in the next inning, he's down like a, a tick plus. He's down a, a fair amount. And what's rough is that, you know, you know that the Red Sox are analytics. You know that even no matter what they're doing with Cora, like how much, you know, rope they give Cora, whatever, you know, everyone's aware of that velocity drop, right? So I think it just was a calculus where they're like, well, if we go to the bullpen here, then we have to use this guy and this guy that we really weren't hoping to use and probably sale with a, a tick lower is still better than that guy. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know. I think maybe it was too cute because, uh, you know, they didn't use uh, Tanner Houck once. Um, maybe it was a matchups thing. Who who came up in the uh, in the sixth? They went sail to Brazier and then Robles, Darwin's and Hernandez, Salamura and Perez. No, but who touched who touched sail in the sixth? Oh, right? oh Jordan got him again. I think he doubled See, off him. You wouldn't go to Tanner Hauk there, I guess. Right, you're giving up the platoon advantage going to Hauk in that you would spot. Would assume that sail, if all things being equal, that sail would be a better option against Alvarez. Yeah, but I really thought the the recipe was going to be Sale plus Hauk. Yeah. Even if it was Sale going shorter than he went, I thought that was exactly what the Red Sox wanted. I mean, they didn't put runs on the board, so they would have burned Hauk, and then they'd be maybe in a worse spot if things it's like, go awry later in the series. It is sequencing luck in a way, right? This is how it's not... When you say luck, you think of like a squibbling, squibble little hit that like just barely, you know, the guy gets on, that sort of luck. That's That's luck too, but there is the luck of like, you know, there was a walk earlier and this happened and this happened. And so then Jordan Alvarez is up in the sixth. And because Jordan Alvarez is up, you don't put Tanner Hawkins in the sixth. Like, right. I'm sure they talked about it. Right. And then, then the score like, changes well, and then you don't Alvarez. want to do it then. Right. And yeah, exactly. And then the score changes, you're behind, and now you're going to your B bullpen, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the thing we started talking about yesterday in the wake of Evaldi's relief appearances, what is his next start really going to look like? Is he going to be as effective as he's been for most of the postseason? It's just an open question. We just don't know. But I think we've seen enough starters throwing on their throw days and throwing on shorter rest in this postseason to probably come to some sort of agreement that there is a there is a downside to this approach. There is a way this catches up to you. Maybe when and how much is still to be sorted out, but it's obviously the kind of thing that carries some some downside risk. Yeah, and I think we saw a little bit of it in the uh, other game. Um, Urias was down some velo, and I expected it to be worse, actually. I expected it to look worse, but really, Urias has been down uh, kind of October. You know? Um, he last maxed out at... Uh, 97 in September and last night he maxed out at 95. So the max velo is, has been hurting for a little while, but when you use a guy in relief, 
this is going to happen. You know, like I would expect Givaldi's max velo to be lower and him to be a little bit less effective. Yeah. As you think back to how things unfolded, I mean, Atlanta coming up with homers galore early on, that wasn't necessarily something I expected. Even if Urias didn't have his best stuff, to see him giving up home runs like that, that's actually a skill that I think Jason Stark was the one sharing this and put it in his, uh, his column today. You don't see Urias give up home runs like that. That's just not at all who he is. So it feels like a, a like a valley. Like we have peaks sometimes with velocity and, and stuff kind of hitting these higher levels. This felt like the lower end of what Urias can do when he's healthy. Just extreme fatigue. And it's unbelievable because we talked about just how much the Dodgers were favored in this game yesterday because of Atlanta going the bullpen route. They got three and change from Drew Smiley. Like that was very unexpected. I mean, there were a few twists in this game, and it seems like everything is coming up Atlanta right now. Yeah, I think uh, Sam brings up a good point about that. Um, it was particularly devastating uh, that you know Tony Gonsolin was used because. Um, everyone's trying to draw parallels to last year where the Dodgers, um, you know, were uh, down 3-1, won game five, uh, and, and won the series eventually. Um, I'm just looking at the box score for that game, and there's a key difference for me, which is uh, they had Dustin May last year, you know. And you could say, oh, you know, Tony Gonsolin can go two or three. Well, now he can't. Um, and then the other key difference is the Braves did a bullpen game that day too. So it was bullpen versus bullpen this year, this year it's bullpen versus Max Freed. And, and I don't know if like I'm allowing my, uh, fandom or like just what I want to happen. Like, listen, I'm not rooting for one or the other. What I mean, what I want to happen is. I don't, I want the starter to win. I don't want the bullpen game to win. You know, I think it'd be better for the sport, honestly, if the starter won. Um, because I, the bullpen games are, are a little rough. Uh, you start changing relievers in the first and second, and just it just seems like a parade of relievers is tough. As exciting as Tyler Matzek has been, uh, ooh, I like that. Uh, did you hear that? <laughs> Tyler Matzek? I, like I did. I, I did hear it. That was that wasn't even. You didn't come up with that by design. That just happened. no. That was a mistake. I think we should. I think that's. I think that's the nickname. <laughs> that's also going to end up on t-shirts. Most <clears> that's likely. a pretty good one, actually. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, I really love what he's doing. Uh, AJ Minter last year and this year has been great. And AJ Minter last year was the key to um, you know the Braves staying in that game. Um, he was kind of the answer to to Dustin May. Um, there are good relievers. There are relievers I like watching, um, but it's just the, uh, the how much change there is, and you lose the drama of oh, when Freed last faced this guy in this game, he did this and this. Is this hitter going to try and cover that? You know, is he going to go there again? You know what I mean? Like there's there's more of a chess match. You know, I feel like with relievers, it's checkers. It's just like. He's got two pitches. Which one's he gonna throw? You know what I mean. But with the with the starters, it's like, oh, he got me on the slider last time. He's gonna go to the curveball. He's gonna go to the change. Like, what's he gonna do? So, um, <clears throat> I think it would be better for for baseball if if uh, if Max Reed won tonight. So, 
Uh, that's my pick. Also, like, just if you just ask me who's going to win tonight, Max Fried or the bullpen, you know, I'm going to be like, Max Fried. Yeah, but we did the same thing yesterday on the opposite no, side, right? Shut so up. Isn't, that the, <laughs> isn't that the frustrating thing? And aside from that, of course, the, the series that we just erased from our memories, this matchup a year ago, Atlanta had a 3-1 lead over the Dodgers That's and, of course, lost about. that Never series. Mind so that. Never mind all, that. All of these things are, are here, as uh, Shane also, F. pointed Max earlier. Max Reed has not been used in relief recently. True. Big difference. The regular rest, no unusual usage. I mean, you can look at the Dodgers and kind of piece together what they're likely to do with their core of relievers. It is strange they threw Gonsolin, especially when they did. Corey Knable probably opens again, or at least is going to throw an inning or two, maybe. If he's if he's able to get through two, that's a bonus. He's at least going to give you one. Trinan's going to pitch in this game. Maybe give you two. He was starting in the minor leagues. Yeah, Vessia is going to give you some innings. Obviously, Trinan's going to get in. Kenley Jansen's going to pitch. Gratterall's going to pitch. I mean, it's it's going to be as many of the A so relievers we just did as right early now, as possible. We just did six innings. Yeah. What about the other three? Where do those yeah. come from? Joe Somebody. Kelly's going to pitch in this game. I mean, that's Seven. pretty clear. Yeah. But I, I was looking at last year's, and uh, what was kind of key for them was Pedro Baez. Uh, so last year, a lot of the same names, right? Kelly, it was May, Kelly, Trinan, Baez, Victor Gonzalez. And that's also interesting because that's where they identified, I think, a soft spot, right? They used Baez and Victor Gonzalez against the bottom of the order, probably. Because they went May, Kelly, Trinan, Baez, Victor Gonzalez, Bruzdar, Kenley. And uh, the people who gave them two innings were Trinan and May. I don't think they want to go two innings with Trinan this, this time, but uh, that sort of that soft spot in the in the middle of the game, Baez and Victor Gonzalez, who is that this year? That might Fair be where question. they try and sneak Vessia in for two. I'm wondering here with Justin Turner's injury. I assume that timetable would knock him out through the World Series. Even if you advance, do you just go ahead and take him off the roster and say, yeah, he's he's done for the year anyway. Let's get another pitcher. Is there anybody you could throw on from your taxi squad to come in and chew up some innings? Hmm. It might be interesting to bring like Andre Jackson uh, into the game. Uh, they have maybe not have seen him that much and also power, you know, power starter that uh, could give you two innings maybe. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting idea. Also, um, I kind of think what they're doing tonight, I know they're kind of doing it because Max Fried is a lefty, uh, playing Pujols at first. Um, I think that might be what they should do going forward because I don't, I'm, I'm not a guy who tries to be reactionary. I think Gavin Lux probably has the skills to be a center fielder, but we just threw him out there, you know, and uh, sometimes it takes a little time to, to get it down. And so, I think it would take a lot of pressure off him to move him back to the infield. Uh, you know, Trey Turner obviously has the arm for third. Yeah, they could play Taylor over at third too. Yeah, but I want, I want, no, but mostly I want, uh, who can play, uh, yeah, Pujols play first. I Mostly I want Bellinger in center. Bellinger or Taylor in center. That's, that's I think, what should be the plan. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what that lineup looks like uh, once it comes out here a little bit later. They were talking already last night that Pujols play first. Do you think it's at all interesting that it looked early in the series like the Dodgers had a plan that was going to work against Freddie Freeman, and now they clearly don't have a plan that works against Freddie Freeman? It also is interesting to me that they kind of went away from it, right? Like, I remember Mike Petriello had this great article about how they went to inside to him 81% of the time. And remember in Game 3, all of Freeman's hits were um, on like elevated and out and above the plate, right? Like, they weren't inside. 
he was taking pitches like sort of um, out up and away to the other opposite field. Yeah. That's what I remember of those two big hits from Freeman, you know, like, so um, do they go away from it? Was it all a setup? <laughs> was it like, oh my God, 81% inside. They're going to bust me inside. Oh my God. Uh, you know, and then I'm not prepared for the, for what's on the outside. I don't know. I also just have a lot of respect for Freeman as a hitter. So I kind of like, I just kind of laugh at it, you know, <laughs> like, of course, nobody is going to just go 81% inside to Freeman, you know, for a whole series because no one's tried it for a whole year. Like, because they've been trying to get Freeman out for years. <laughs> it's not like, oh, oh, we should pitch him inside. Dude. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's ever thought of that before. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a setup. Maybe it had to do with the having a, a series for the ages, by the way. Um, you know, missed the cycle by hitting a second home run instead, needed a double. So I think that's better, as most people would readily agree. Yeah. A triple um, sort of the cycle is like a, is like a joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Or the single short too. That's actually pretty funny when you're a single short. It's like oh, I had a double, That's funny on the other way. Over. Triple short of the cycle is big, is funny because uh, there've probably been a million people who've been a triple short of the cycle. It's a question from Jay in the live stream. Why isn't Lux playing a corner spot instead of center field? Am I missing anything from the analytical perspective? I mean, yeah, when when you have your choice of someone who's played out there before versus someone who hasn't and that someone who has played out there is Mookie Betts, it is a little bit strange like I, I don't know what goes into that decision. I think what I've been surprised by just generally this year, you know, is the number of teams willing to throw someone who's never played center field before into games at center field. Like I know Chris Bryant maybe dabbled out there for a few innings over the years with the Cubs, but the Giants playing him out there as much as they did, that surprised me. Lux getting this opportunity in the postseason, that surprises me because they have so many moving parts. Like, is there anything you can think of that would guide that decision to go with the less experienced guy in the seemingly more important spot? Well, I pulled up Mookie Betts' outs above average uh, thing, and and it's kind of amazing. He was a minus one uh, fielder by outs above average. He was roughly uh, equivalent to Hunter Renfro and Adam Eaton this year. Uh, neither guys that played center field. Um, also interesting is that his cold, they have a sort of a, a map of the directions and his cold zone is to his right, um, which would mean that if you put him in center, his cold zone would be facing uh, a, weaker, a weak defender. I mean, Pollock is okay. You know, Lux might be okay in the corner, but you create a weakness uh, to his right as well. So I kind of feel... Uh, like it's not as much about Lux as it is like we don't really want to play Betts and Pollock in center. So we just see Lux as being more physically fit, maybe more uh, more fast, more, you know, and we think that uh, he's played the outfield before so he can make these reads as is sort of my guess. Yeah, it's just one of those things I, I wouldn't have expected to see Lux playing that position given all the different ways they can line it up. And I guess one way to think about the versatility too is even though guys can play two, three, even four positions sometimes, if everyone's playing their third or fourth best position to make everyone play a spot they played before, that might not be as good as everyone playing their second best position and one guy playing slightly out of position, right? Or, Think about pool, the number or, of or playing pool holes. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like maybe just punt at one position to be better everywhere else. Um you know, it, it, I think it's actually there's a weird equivalency here to what's happening with starting pitching and starting pitcher uses, right? Because uh, 
you know, like everybody has, uh, you know, their A game uh, and they're, and in terms of like starters, they're like, they're this valuable as starters with full rest. And then you make the calculus, okay, he's this valuable on short rest. Then you make the, uh, he's this valuable if I used him out of the bullpen before. And, you know, if you're, you're going to do that with every starting pitcher, you're going to force yourself to do it more and more right? Like, cause you're like, Oh crap, I got to take this pitcher out earlier because I used him in relief before. So now I got to put another starter in. You know, it's almost like that thing when you're playing with the defense, you're like, okay, everyone is going to be on their B game. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> we're going to make everyone be on their B game. We're going to try to avoid anybody being on their C game. We're going to have, everyone's going to be on a B game. Well, what if you had one guy who's on a C game and everyone else is on their A game? Right. That's that's the calculus I think that teams are are going through at this point. Like, let's not use Frommer Valdez out of relief, you know, if we can, because we don't really want his B game. We want his A game, uh, and uh, you know, using Eovaldi to kind of try and shut the door that day ends up uh, ends up hurting the Sox a lot. Yeah, and, and I mean, as Sam points out, Max Muncy being down also hurts them a lot. Hurts them offensively. It changes the way they play defense. The, creates all these extra problems that we've discussed throughout the postseason. So they definitely are missing him right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Sam also wants to know if we could talk about Drew Smiley. $10 million paying off a bit later than expected. Do you, do you have any, any belief at all that the Braves put Drew Smiley into that game thinking, oh, yeah, we're getting three and a third here? <laughs> like, there's no way, right? They thought two if we're lucky. It was just... They told him, empty the tank, dude. Yeah, two if we're lucky. Like if no we tomorrow. get that, we're, anything else is gravy. I mean, I... Chris Martin came in, got a couple of key outs, and I don't think he was the one that allowed some runners to score that Smiley had left on base. But uh, A.J. Minter coming in for a couple innings and, and going too scoreless, a lot of hard contact in those two innings, but dodging raindrops, I guess, as they say, in that spot. Well, it's, you know, a couple of things stand out to me about Smiley that are interesting. One is he was not actually up in Velo, right? You kind of expect him to kind of do the reliever thing. He, he averaged 92.3, and he was 92.1 on the season. However, he threw no fastballs. <laughs> he threw seven fastballs out of 56 pitches. I kind of love that. And I, I wonder if that has something to do with Eddie Rosario. Uh, there's a, a comment here uh, from Sam. Rosario, great highball hitter, has been hitting sliders in the dirt this season. Hard to miss his bat. You know, uh, I wonder if there's some guys that are just like, I'm going to do something completely different now. It's the postseason. You know, Smiley came out there and was like, you know what? Curveball's my best pitch. I'm just going to keep throwing curveballs. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. like, I'll just wait till they tell me that that's not working. Seven fastballs. I love it. Seven. 
I think the smiley thing, as far as the contract goes, because people were saying, oh, yeah, you got $11 million, wasn't in the rotation at the end of the year. There's really no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Like If you see something you believe in with a pitcher, if you think the secondaries are good, you think the command's good, you think you can eat innings, you think you could be a good reliever if he fails as a starter, all those things, any of those things are good enough reason to go ahead and, and give a player a deal like that. And yeah, maybe they completely backed into a scenario in which he came through for them at the best possible time. But looking back at some of the underlying numbers we saw, I mean, what he did in the shortened season with the Giants, only 26 in the third innings, there was enough there to be excited about him mm-hmm. on a one-year deal. So I don't think by process they were but, wrong, even though by by outcome they were maybe underwhelmed by what they ended up getting in the regular season. I do want to point out, though, that this is a process that many teams are copying, right? This is a thing that a lot of teams are doing. And it came up in my raise piece, and I started going through the names, and they didn't work out really that well this year. Rich Hill might have been the best hit. Uh, Rich Hill, Garrett Richards, um, Corey Kluber, uh, Drew Smiley. Do you remember any more? Those are the ones I remember uh, from the Rays article. And um, yeah, those are the ones that immediate, more immediately come to mind. Anyway, there were there were a couple more. I guess they worked out to some extent. Kluber helped the. I mean, he threw a no hitter. He helped the Yankees this year. Uh, Rich Hill was was pretty decent. Uh, for two teams, but it is kind of funny that none of them, uh, one, like one of them made it to a, uh, two of them made it to a, a playoff roster. Smiley. And Jessica and Fani, part of that group. Kluber. Disco, oh. Disco got one for six. Disco might've been the best of the bunch. It's not a bad place to shop in free agency, but it isn't, it isn't something you want to count on uh, one through four in your rotation. It's sort no, of like no. a good way to, 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 try and paper over your fifth spot. You could steal a spot more effectively doing that than by taking the, the Jake Odorizzi situation and saying, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll give him multiple years. We'll be the team that goes three for this guy. Like that, I, I think that's the, to me, that's the more preferable option. I'll, I'll, I'll give the guy 10 or 12 million for one year if I have the choice versus going three years and being kind of locked in to that same pitcher. But yeah, uh, interesting thought here from, Nickel Picklers, first on Danny Duffy. I'm going to actually bring up that other one first. A question on Gavin Lux. I read that they like the angle he gets on the ball in center field being closer to his natural position. Yeah, if you play more up the middle, playing center field, watching the ball, reading the ball coming off the bat would probably be quite a bit easier than being down in a corner. So I think that's a a really good point. Uh, But the other thought here was about Danny Duffy. Would the Dodgers consider bringing him in? He hasn't pitched for them since being acquired at the trade deadline. Is he working out somewhere or already at home? The last I saw, he had had a setback kind of trying to come back from an injury in September. I haven't heard anything about Danny Duffy being anywhere near ready to pitch. Yeah, that's why I went to one of the young guys. What was that? They had another young guy. Oh, Mitch White. That would Mitch be, White would be... Mitch White would be a great call. Yeah. Maybe White over uh, Jackson, but I mean, what I'm what I think I'm learning from this is that um, maybe having a guy uh, like your like your seventh best starter who has 80 pitches in him might be more valuable to your postseason roster than like your eighth or seventh best reliever who has 20 pitches in. Him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we'll see next year more six, fifth, and sixth and seventh starters that we were like a little bit surprised the guys on the roster. To some extent, I think the the Braves did that with Smiley. Smiley wasn't going to start 
a postseason game, right? No, Smiley it, hasn't even been pitching that much. It's just getting lucky with an innings eater. You're not going to get lucky with a position player because you're not going to throw a position player for more than one inning anyway. But to have and you're not going to really get lucky with that seventh best reliever because even if you do and you and you're like you sort of close your eyes and and throw that guy out there, uh, then uh, he gives you one inning. <laughs> And you have to throw some other guy out there again. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's much better to, I think what, like, that's what I'm learning from, like, Nick Pavetta. I feel like they, you know, they probably debated, you know, whether or not to put him on the roster. You put him on the roster, he gives you a lot. Yeah, it would be interesting if you had a better way to stretch out guys you were using in short relief over the final month, even six weeks of the season. Oh, this guy's been throwing 15, maybe 20 pitches per outing for most of the season. Mid-August rolls around, he's up That's to 25, and then he gets about, up to like 30, 35 by September, and if you need 40 in, in October, it's actually doable. Yeah, I, I think what Perpetua is saying is right. Um, uh, like, you, the average team here, Andrew Perpetua says, I firmly believe that MLB is moving towards, uh, MLB is going to have to move towards having more starting pitchers. About a team over want to have 10 to 12 starting pitchers, and they wanted three relievers. That's pretty old school. That's how it used to be. Uh, I don't know what, I don't know about the 10 part with the starting pitchers, but used to have like sort of three relievers. Um, what I like about it is that teams use 10 starters anyway. Um, and, uh, I really don't like the sort of option, uh, uh, train that, that so many relievers are on, like the Jay Jackson situation where you're just up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, and, uh, I, I think there's some balance there that needs to be, that needs to be righted. But, you know, another thing that you can do in September to prepare for the postseason is uh, if, if you're going to homogenize your staff anyway in September, which what I mean by that is everyone is either a 40 or an 80 pitch guy, right? Like all your 20 pitch guys have to pitch 40 and all your 80 pitch, all your 100 pitch guys pitch 80. If you're going to homogenize your staff that way anyway, then start homogenizing in September. Actually prepare them to do it. So maybe piggyback the last two spots of your, you know, start acting like you have 10 starting pitchers, right? Start taking uh, Tony Gonsolin and um, and Julio Urias and putting them in tandem starts. The best, the thing that's cool about that is you keep Julio Urias at eighty pitches, and also you pitch him less. You know, yeah. or go to a six or seven seven uh, starter rotation. Save, yeah, as Ch- Sam Chess says, save a lot of gas. Save the gas on the guys that that have a hundred pitches, and start extending your sixth and seventh guys so they have eighty pitches. And then you go into the postseason and you say, yeah, yeah, we have these three starters that are our playoff starters. However, we have four other guys that can go 80. Yeah, I like the idea of, of building it that way. I mean, from a, a development standpoint, we're probably talking about a lot of guys with two pitches being more heavily used than teams would previously have wanted to use them. But we got plenty of two-pitch guys that, that do give you That's 80 pitches. in the starting rotation because you can turn the lineup over twice. Yeah. And 18, what's the math on that? 18 batters faced times four pitches per plate appearance. Oh, that's that's kind of interesting. Add in a couple walks and hits, right? Add, add in a little stuff, Get really yeah. close to 80. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree with Andrew. I think things are, are clearly changing, and I'm, I'm wondering how much or how quickly – the league will try to adjust rules to prevent this from actually playing out this way. This seems like the the natural course of optimizing for efficiency based on current roster rules and, and factors that we have right now. Will the league 
take the feedback, take all the people saying, hey, you know, these these four-plus-hour games, this isn't really ideal, and will they try and find ways to say, yeah, it's actually it's going to be a four-pitcher max or whatever that actual rule or adjustment ends up being. I, I wonder if they're going to let it happen, if, if this is actually going to be the way things can because play out. the Players Association will always argue for more roster spots, more right. major league jobs, right? But every time they add a roster spot, mostly the teams are like, sweet, another pitcher. <laughs> and, you know, it's 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 something that's funny. Like, when they're, they're going to argue about the DH, right? And the owners will be like, we can give you the universal DH. It's 12 more uh, jobs. Yeah, MFR, I get it. It's 12 more jobs, but how great are those jobs going to be? About 10 of those teams are just going to stick some guy they already have on the roster there. <laughs> you know, they'll be like, oh, thanks. We have a place to put Eric Hosmer. You know, like, like, is that really going to create like a ton of jobs? It's the same way with like another roster spot. Oh, yeah. Well, you're mostly going to stick $500,000 relievers in there. I think I'd rather you double the minimum salary than you give me another $500,000 spot. Right. Well, so the other benefit Andrew points out in the live stream, when you have 10 to 12 stars, it means you can have one go five, the other can go four in any given game. So your, your relievers who are short relievers can just get up and get hot and get in the game quickly. So you can sort of, I mean, thinking back, the Astros started doing this in the minor leagues five plus years ago, at least. They were tandem starting throughout the minor leagues to stretch out as many pitchers as possible, probably to work on pitch development, all these different things and, we've been talking keep- about. Everybody moving towards being a starter until the last minute, right? Kind of, it maximizes you keep that value. dream alive for as long as possible. <laughs> I think it, it 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 protects the value of your pitchers as you potentially trade them too, because oh, this guy's given us tons of innings. He looks like a possible starter. Teams scout him more as a starter. They they value that pitcher more as a possible starter if you can give them that proof of concept. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rob McCabe's point, uh, most teams, 10 to 12 stars, most teams can't even roster three. I guess I just disagree. Um, I think we've seen, uh, some fifth and sixth starters in these playoffs, uh, shove. Um, I, I think it's a, it's all, it's all relative. Uh, I think that hitters are, are really well trained right now and it's, it's a tough time to pitch and it's a tough time to hit. And it's like, you know, you could take six and seven starters and put them back 15, 20 years and they would shove, I think. A lot of them. So I, I see, I see plenty of talent. And then it also is a question of like, you're saying uh, developing them to, to, to start and, and not uh, taking a lot of guys who could be six and seven starters and turning them to relievers. Yeah. Well, probably the, the wave of the future though. I think Andrew is dead on in terms of where the game is likely headed, barring some significant changes uh, in the rules. I had one more question for you. I should have thrown it out there back when we were talking about Chris Sale, but I saw our friend Jeff Erickson from Rotowire tweeting about this yesterday. Where is Chris Sale going to go in 2022 fantasy baseball drafts? And are you the person who's going to be jumping on board? Um, I might be. I might be. You know, one of the things I like is the Velo's back. You know, and I know the the you know he had a ninety nine stuff plus. I know the stuff isn't all the way back. I know there's some debate there, but um, Jeff Zimmerman had a, a cool piece about a honey a TJ honeymoon, right? So there's about a four to six hundred inning uh, honeymoon. Uh, even if you're going to have a second TJ, you usually last uh, four to six hundred innings in between. So it's not likely that he's going to go down for TJ next year. He maybe go down for just a rest or something. Maybe he's not going to go in for 200 innings next year. 
but I think 150, 160 innings, and it could be really awesome. And worst case, they're pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to buy him. I think he'll be like maybe like the 10th pitcher off the board, and he has the uh, potential to to turn in a top three uh, outcome. Does that does that sound right for you? Like sort of third roundish? Yeah, third roundish makes sense. He went at the two three turn of the fifteen teamer that I did uh, with Todd a few weeks ago. So that was probably at the early end of the range. I mean, the velo coming back. If, if this, if the outing on Wednesday was the last we saw of Sale until opening day of twenty twenty two, then that's he bumps into a high second, note. maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and especially in NFBC leagues, more strikeout heavy formats like that with the overall component to people that take on that extra risk because they think, hey, I might be getting I might be getting closer to peak sale than people Are you realize. Talking about sale versus Giolito then? Sale versus Giolito. I think there'd be a, a little bit of a gap between them. I think I think the Giolito correction is going to be more of like end of end of three, beginning who's of a, four. Who's a good back end ten then for you? Who's a back end mm. top ten? Who's about who's like an eighth who's be like your eighth or seventh starting pitcher? Looking to see who went around him. Sandy Alcantara? Would you take sale over him? No, I don't think so. Bieber was two picks before sale. You like Bieber more than sale? I think I like sale. Okay. Bieber's coming off a shoulder. We didn't really see the same resurgence. How about uh, Julio Urias? He went a few picks before sale in this draft. Boy. That was tough. Uh, I think I might have sales right there. The other name I'll throw at you, just seeing other guys that went kind of in the late second through early fourth range, Robbie Ray versus Chris Sale for next season. Sale for me. Okay. So ballpark is right. Even if within the range, maybe Sale went a tick on the earlier side in that draft I did a few weeks ago. Probably something we'll talk more about on future pods as we kind of get out of playoff mode here once the playoffs end and get back into draft prep mode. Uh, of course, we're back here tomorrow, 11 we have, we have, we have picks? Is there a pick? Oh, you okay. want to make picks? Okay. We can well, do there's picks. A, there's a game today. Yeah, well, we can make picks. I thought you made your pick kind of in passing. So who are you taking today? Are we going six? Oh, yeah, I did make my pick in passing. That's right. <laughs> I can clarify. I said, I said Braves, yeah, freed. Yeah, you were on the free. But you side. didn't make a pick. I'm sticking with the Dodgers. Uh, I right. I, I said Dodgers were going to win the series down. They have to win home. tonight. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have picked the Dodgers for the rest of the series. I will be wrong probably again today, and then I can stop being wrong I, about it. It's so gloriously stupid. <laughs> this big thing. I, I love that. Uh, yeah, exactly. I just, it's just uh, so much chaos. Yeah, all the chaos. Oh, there's one more question related to those pitchers. What about Glass now? Not coming back next year. Yeah. So, yeah, 2023. Similar expectations for him in 2023 coming off TJ, though, where he'll probably go at the 2-3 turn or mid-third round if he's completely healthy. I always feel better, though, if I get a start. Like to see, yeah, a little bit. I mean, with Sale, yeah, we get to see a couple months plus yeah. postseason time, too. So that certainly helps. I think it was a raw deal. I, like, I had a couple, like, IL rostered sales that didn't really do too much for me this year, and I held on to them forever trying to get – get in uh that i that i i think i'm out on a little bit like you know like like trying to roster glass now next year and hoping you get like three september start like no don't do that 
Yeah. It's it's keeper and dynasty stashing only. It's not yeah. not a redraft thing at all. I mean, even like very last sorts of picks, maybe in like an AL only, deep, deep AL only league where that sixth reserve is someone you're never going to use, maybe there. But then you got to have some IL spots. Like too. Perpetua says, uh, yeah, Syndergaard. I like it. I like it when a guy comes back and, and throws hard. But guy comes back and doesn't throw hard, then I'm like, well, he came back. I'm still kind of interested. But, you know, it usually takes sort of like one to three starts to see Velo. So, like, one start of Velo coming back off of TJ tells you a lot. There's a, there's a lot of information there. So, uh, it's always better when somebody, somebody comes back and throws once. So, I'm glancing down, trying to see where Syndergaard went in this draft. Where, where would you be comfortable taking him? <laughs> like... I might do a main next year and uh, uh, I might just be like, you know, running, you know, running nude through the forest sort of deal where I just, I take sale in the second and I take Thor in the fourth. Let me know what day you're drafting your main. I'll be sure to shut my windows <laughs> and stay home. Jeez. <laughs> Syndergaard went in the 10th round of that same early 15 teamer with a lot of you know, very right, so good NPC players in it. But it might, but I might, it might be fun to put Sale and Syndergaard on the same staff because that's the main is like, go for it, dude. Well, yeah, go I mean, for it. 10th round, though. I mean, you can, you can afford, you can afford that, that dart at that point. I don't know if that's going to hold. I think that's going to be one might, of the surprises. Yeah, I'm going to push him. I'll push him to the eighth. Obviously, I just put him in the fourth. I, I'll push him to the eighth. I'll take some bats in between. Yeah, the eighth is where McClanahan went in that draft. Hmm. Well, okay. That. But but if I get either of those, I'll be happy. You know, maybe that's a maybe that's a bit of a plan here that's starting to form. <laughs> Thanks for all the great comments on the live stream throughout the the week. By the way, we really appreciate everybody who watches us live. If you are watching us live and could hit the like button on this video, we'd really appreciate that. Be sure to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done that already. On Twitter, the King of Waffles is at Enoceris. I am confirming that I'm at Derek Van Riper. I'm at no other Twitter handle, despite my... Not Brit Jirole. I am not at Brit Jirole on Twitter. Uh, she has more followers than me and is better at Twitter than I am. So she has her handle. I have mine. But we're back here tomorrow at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.